Hi, I'm April. And I'm Sam. And welcome to Current Climate. Join us each week as we learn more about what we can do to help the natural world with small changes and big actions. Hey gang, welcome back to episode nine of Current Climate. We had a wonderful week off. Um, I hope you guys missed us. <laughs> I hope you are just desperate to hear our voices again because we are desperate to talk again <laughs> just for so long. So welcome. <laughs> welcome, everyone. So we're going to start this episode by talking about our two-week challenge, which was to replace anything we are running out of with something more sustainable if it made sense for us. So I'm curious, April, did you end up replacing anything this week or find anything that you will replace soon? So the first, like literally the first day we set this challenge, I was stoked because you remember how stuck I was on like, what am I going to do that's a more sustainable option? Like I couldn't even come up with kind of like basic ideas. Mm -hmm. But the first day we set the challenge. I use these like toner pads mm -hmm. from Walgreens. So it's like a little jar, the toner or the little cotton rounds are pre-soaked in toner. You use it, you toss it. Um, so on the first day, when I finished these like toner pads, I realized that each one of those little pads was just one more bit of waste like in the world they're probably not really cotton pads they're probably something synthetic mm. soaked in the toner so we had kind of talked about even if you can't do something more sustainably like you can buy a bigger quantity so it'd be less packaging or whatever so the first sustainable purchase i made was a separate large bottle of toner okay and then a reusable uh, face wipe. Oh, cool. Yeah, so a Look reusable round. I know, I know. And I was thrilled because I was so stuck on ideas when we finished our conversation. So that was like my first sustainable swap, and I felt really good that I came up with something. That's awesome. <laughs> Got one. <laughs> um, and then like, so other things... We did get coffee in a tin or like a, a canister, I guess, mm -hmm. because metal is more recyclable than these like mixed material bags that coffee comes in. Yeah. And I think the tin or the canister keeps it fresher too, but oh, okay. double, double one. Yeah. It's just not a type of coffee that we would typically buy, you Do know, you like it, it or is it not? I'm okay with it because to me, all coffee tastes exactly the same, <laughs> but you know, my boyfriend is very much a, a Pete's coffee or a okay. Starbucks bagged coffee person mm -hmm. and you're not going to find those in canisters. Yeah. So the canister coffee, you know, was, was like a Folgers. It was Folgers. It wasn't like a Folgers. It was Folgers. <laughs> and now we kind of have just a lot of coffee. <laughs> right. <laughs> now we just have like so much of this coffee that he maybe doesn't particularly enjoy, but less wasteful. Yeah. It's so, cool that he like wanted to, to try that with you, you know, went along for the ride. Yeah. Went along for it. Wanted to. <laughs> I don't know. But. Yeah, it just happened. Again, we were kind of like out of coffee when we set this challenge. We have just in general been using less paper towels because of the previous cha challenge we set. Nice. Trying to focus more on hand towels. Um, so we didn't buy any paper towels this week either. Cool. Yeah. Look at okay, you. So I know. I know. And what can I say? I'm an environmentalist. <laughs> And I say, <laughs> um, so those are some of my examples. What do you got? What'd you do? You're so, better at this than I am. Well, I think you did better actually. Um, the toner one is great, right? It was, it's great. It. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> 
so actually like yesterday is when I finally had like a solid idea. Um, right along, I was looking things up. Like we didn't run out of anything, but like I was like, oh, we use Q-tips for our ears, even though you're not supposed to because it creates earwax by putting it in your ear. We all do it. (laughs) It's great. I love it. I'm never going to stop. But um, there's a company that makes reusable silicone like ear swabs. And I was like looking into that, but they're like $12. And I'm like, oh, I can get a thing of Q-tips for like two something or like three something. I, I don't know if that's worth it. My husband wasn't on board with the... I hate everything it. about it. I yeah. hate everything about a reusable <laughs> Q-tip. This is so funny. We're having the conversation. He's like, well, how much water is it going to use to rinse it off? And I'm like, I don't know. He's like, you'd have to calculate that, wouldn't you, to see if it's more wasteful to have the silicone reusable one? Because we don't get... I don't know why anyone would, not to throw shade at anyone who might, but like, why would you buy Q-tips with the plastic middle when you can get the paper ones? Like, I don't understand. So we get the paper ones. The only thing is the plastic container, the plastic itself can't be recycled. All like the, Mm -hmm. everything else is fine. Um, I wonder. But when we talked about quantities and you buy like 800 Q-tips at a time in one of those plastic packages. Oh, right. That's a good point. They're huge packages of Q-tips. So you get a lot of use for the one package if they're all paper. That's true. And maybe I can find an even bigger one, possibly. The biggest. The big- we have just a closet full of Q-tips. <laughs> That's the dream. <laughs> We're moving. Okay, let's load up all the Q-tips in boxes. <laughs> um, <laughs> So that was kind of a flop, but it was interesting to see that that's something that exists. But something similar was toilet paper. There's a company, there's actually a few companies, but the one I know about, it's called Who Gives a Crap? And they ship you, like you do a subscription even, um, toilet paper wrapped in paper. So there's no plastic and it's recycled toilet paper. And they even have like a premium bamboo toilet paper. Um, They also have tissues and paper towels. So that's kind of cool. But I calculated it based on the toilet paper we get, um, like, four times the cost. Maybe one day I'll get a bidet and it won't even matter. And I'll be, like, this incredible environmentalist. But for now, we're sticking with the toilet paper that comes in the big plastic thing. When you set the challenge, my first thought was toilet paper. Because there were so many jokes made at the start of the pandemic about running out of toilet paper Mm -hmm. that I saw a lot of maybe jokes, maybe real stuff about reusable cloth toilet paper oh. um, and like like mega rolls of toilet paper. And so I like looked into this as well at the start of this challenge because I was like, I don't know if there's got to be a better way or just like flushing paper. Mm-hmm. Um, but like low key, I don't think there is. And even, like, this bamboo site where – so bamboo is, like, it grows super fast. It's super good to to make paper stuff out of because it regenerates so quickly. The shipping costs and the manufacturing costs to get bamboo into a pulp that's suitable for, like, a facial tissue or something. Mm -hmm. And then to have it shipped to you, specially, special order – I don't know if the benefits are really there. Yeah. That's why, like, maybe... I don't know if toilet paper is that bad. Yeah. Might be good. Because that's the thing. Like, recycled paper products, I feel like we do need to kind of increase the demand for that, in a sense. Because, like, we, Girl, I'm always buying on. stuff. <laughs> 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 but anyway, anyway, pin in that. Um, what I did end up buying, and I don't have it yet. I just ordered it yesterday. I use... Um, the brand name is called Body Glide. It's an anti-chafe stick. It's like marketed towards runners, um, so that when you're running, your thighs don't light on fire and kill you. Um, which <laughs> is a concern of mine, just walking and living my life. So I've been using that brand for like six years, seven years, something like that. I put it on every single day, and. I never really thought about finding a more low waste option, but I did a quick Google and an Etsy shop came up and there was a review on the product that said, I like this better than body glide. And I was like, Oh damn, we might be onto something here. 
So I did order it. It was really comparable in price. Um, I think it was like 25% more expensive. Like base, it was like the same price, but the amount was smaller. Um, but I was like, I'm willing to try it and just like see. And it comes in a metal tin rather than a plastic tube. Because okay. the, the body glide is like, a, it looks like a deodorant stick. So it's like plastic tube. Um, I don't go through them too frequently, but like enough that it's like, if this solve works out, that's great because I'm supporting a person like, it's just like some lady in New Mexico making these solves for anti-chafing, putting them in a metal tin. Etsy does the carbon neutral shipping or they like offset it Mm -hmm. to a certain degree. So I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like this, if I do like it, which we'll see, but if I do like it, it's like, that's something that I could keep up and feel good about. That's a really good one. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've talked a lot about plastic in some of our other challenges and, you know, just a lot of the news, it's always about plastic. And it's funny the difference that it makes to switch to a metal container. Mm-hmm. Metal is so much more recyclable. And it's, it's more expensive, usually to have a, a smaller metal container. But I mean, think about even like the reusability of it, even if it doesn't go through a recycling process, like the freaking Altoid tins that yeah. we still have our sewing kits in. Yeah. I haven't bought Altoids in years. Where did this Band-Aid holder Altoid tin come from? You're so right. Or like the uh, cookie tins. There's like always memes about how yes. those you think it's gonna be cookies, it's always sewing materials. Yeah, and they're it's like just so a good useful. tin. <laughs> I could definitely see me like emptying out and like keeping jewelry in it, like honestly. <laughs> oh so. yeah. And so it sounds like we didn't maybe switch out necessarily like that many things. Like we didn't run out of too many things that we had to find more sustainable versions. But I definitely think I'm going to look at it more. You know what I mean? Like the next time I do run out of something that I use every day, like deodorant, I never even thought like maybe my deodorant doesn't have to come in a flimsy plastic thing with a moving plastic twisty part that -hmm. will break off and end up in a bird's stomach. Maybe deodorant doesn't have to end up in birds. Right. Never even thought of it. Yeah, they make um, cardboard tubes for it, like a, like a, almost like a push pop. Um, some cool. some companies do. Yeah, cool. Anything else? Nope. I'm gonna keep working on it though. See what I can do next time. Sweet, me too. Um, so this week we're gonna both be doing grab bags, um, because we both just kind of found interesting things to talk about. Or in my case, I remembered something that I really liked and I wanted to share it with Sam and with all of you, our loyal listeners. A few months ago, pre-COVID, BC, um, (laughs) I had the opportunity to go to the Hitchcock Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. Um, There's not a whole lot going on in Amherst, Massachusetts. It's not like a hot spot to visit. But the Hitchcock Center is happening. It is one of only like 25 living buildings in the world. I mean, it's a lot, but it's like the epitome of a sustainable building. But like I Googled some stuff that they didn't tell me on the tour. The mission is to foster greater awareness and understanding of our environment and develop environmentally literate citizens, which I love that. Me too. Environmentally literate citizens. That's what all of us are, current climate listeners and participants, yeah. And what we're all trying to, like, grow in, you Mm -hmm. know? Maybe it's not a big enough part in the school curriculum, or maybe, like, people really don't have access to outdoors as much anymore, Mm. where they, like, lack understanding of the environment and things that impact it. But so let me give you a rundown of what makes this friggin' building one of only like 25 living buildings in the world. 
So the definition of a living building is like it's got holistic standards incorporating the most progressive thinking from architecture, engineering, planning, interiors, landscape design, and policy. That's a lot. <laughs> um, but basically this building generates all its own electricity with solar panels. Cool. Captures and treats all of its own water. Oh, Wow. And is constructed from locally and responsibly sourced non-toxic materials. So there's like a lot there. The materials can't be from more than 300 miles away. And if you go there, they have like a light up board that shows you exactly where their timber came from for the building. That shows you exactly where the windows were made. That shows you exactly where like the rainwater system was made. And all of it's within 300 miles. So that's like... New England, maybe down to Pennsylvania, and then up into Canada a little bit. But it's a very, very small distance, mm-hmm. which keeps everything like local to the area that it's made, which I thought was really awesome. And so the, it also has to be non-toxic, which I thought was interesting. But there's like a red list of toxic materials, I guess. Mm-hmm. And all of our homes have something in them. Um, and the biggest one, yeah, well, so the biggest one that they stressed on was polyurethane, which if you have wood floors in your home, if you have any sort of wood frame, you know, doors, whatever, they're probably stained with like a polyurethane. Mm. So the Hitchcock center, which is made primarily of wood is actually stained with a byproduct of the cheese making process at the Cabot Cheese Factory in Vermont. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's like a whey-based stain. And they have a stuffed beaver, like, in their lobby, like a taxidermied beaver. Mm -hmm. And it's huge. And I made the joke, like, oh, he must have been eating that whey protein wood. Zero laughs. So if you guys (laughs) go, they're not funny, really. (laughs) Or maybe... (laughs) Maybe they just don't get whey protein jokes, Um, but it was crickets, so don't try that one out on them. (laughs) But yeah, so like you've got the wood, you've got the special stain, you've got all the materials sourced from locally less than 300 miles away, and then to be a living building, it has to be built on property that can't be used for anything else, so like a brownfield site. They also said a gray field site, but I don't know what a gray field site is. Well, what's a brown field site? A brown field site is land that is so contaminated from its prior use that there's like the generally the only other beneficial use for it is going to be industrial. Gotcha. So the Hitchcock Center is built on an old apple orchard site, which doesn't sound like it would be a brown field. But apple orchards are, the land is contaminated with arsenic under apple orchards um, because apples contain trace amounts of arsenic. Okay. And then the fertilizer that was used decades ago was so, was so harsh and so full of chemicals and so damaging, but used for, you know, a hundred years that before anybody knew it was bad and so now even though that was an agricultural thing this is a brownstone or a brown field um i wish it was a nice brownstone some good (laughs) property up there Uh, so now it's a brown field because it's contaminated but the hitchcock center in their environmental efforts actually dug up and replaced the top nine inches of soil Oh, to like wow. revive the land. And then they planted native plants to help increase the biodiversity like natively in the mm-hmm. area. And yeah, so now when they're done with it, if they're ever done with it, it'll be so much healthier for That's the next awesome. group. Yeah, I thought it was so cool. Because like, so my company uses solar panels we make over a million kilowatt hours a year of solar energy for facilities. But 
the Hitchcock Center, they go like a step further and they buy their solar panels from a company that is a cradle to cradle company, which means that the solar panels can be recycled entirely. There is no waste from them when they're done. Um, And they're entirely new products, which I'm like, again, what a weird, thoughtful thing. Mm -hmm. You think like, oh, I'm doing solar power. Like I'm doing enough, but these guys are out there doing the most. (laughs) Yeah. So they collect their rainwater and for like, they have water fountains on site and they have sinks that people can like take water from their employees have like a kitchen and stuff. And of course there's sinks in the bathrooms. Um, And they go through a seven step chemical free natural filtration system. That's like specially built for this center. And then it's like run under a UV light treatment or something. Okay. And it brings it up to a drinking water standard. That's like, so cool. Yeah, like the same local ordinance standard for the quality of water they can get to with natural filtration and UV light. And so like that whole process is also powered by these solar panels. And like the UV light and all of that, there's like a percentage of the building's energy that that can take. Like it can only be 20% and no more to make it the most like efficient possible process. Um, And then the last little bit, well, there's two more things, but probably the thing that I found the most horrifying about my visit was composting toilets. What a weird thing. It's weird in general when a tour guide takes you into the bathroom. (laughs) Um, Automatically high alert. (laughs) Um, Automatically, what are we doing? Um, But so like a composting toilet, I think feel like most people have probably seen somewhere. Like a lot of beaches have them or campgrounds. Um, because a lot of people can use them and they're not like super high maintenance, but like the waste for these is composted on site. So we left the bathroom and went to the basement where they compost the waste. Oh my Um, gosh. Yeah. And it's just like in these big tanks and they've got microbes, micro, it's a microbiome microbes or whatever that are like digesting it all the time. And it didn't really smell but it was definitely like weird and uncomfortable. (laughs) But um, I guess you can, like when you flush a composting toilet, it just kind of like foams up. There's no water. It just like foam runs down the side of it. And I guess you could flush one of these toilets like 130 times before it equals the flush of one low flow toilet in a home. You know what? I was going to say, because, like, I don't I don't think about it too much, but, like, occasionally I'll be like, how many gallons am I flushing for, like, I don't know, a few ounces of urine? Like, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. And, like, it's crazy to think that we're using clean water for that, like, drinkable-level right. water in our homes to flush. It's crazy. When, like, that could be the gray water from our showers that we flush with instead. Right. In a more advanced system. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know that system. So I thought that was, like, maybe the weirdest part of the tour. And that's where it got maybe a little too crunchy for me. You know (laughs) what I mean? Like, yes, we know I'm the perfect environmentalist. But (laughs) composting toilets might be where I draw the line. Um, but like the last thing I want to mention about the Hitchcock center that I really appreciated is that access to the building free. The tours are always free. There's trails that they've built up on their property that are free to access. Um, a lot of times if you like have a child and you can't afford one of the educational programs that they host on like garden composting and stuff mm-hmm. um they have like payment programs and so 
like they say that equity is a really important part of what they're doing. And we talk about that a lot on here, uh, climate justice and their whole thing is um, environmental literacy. But so to quote from their website, we strive towards an inclusive sense of community that is just and equitable. Access to nature is increasingly becoming privatized and exclusive. We believe all deserve access to healthy air, water, and soil, and work daily to promote this connection. We strive to keep our programs free and low cost and work extensively in underserved communities. That's you don't really get better cool. than that. Yeah. You don't get better than that. <laughs> they're doing so, the most. <laughs> they're literally doing the most. And like when I went, it's just like a real quick way to feel totally inferior about <laughs> everything you do environmentally. You know, when I went there, my hope was to maybe find some sustainable ideas to bring back to my office to incorporate. Mm -hmm. But these things were just so far and ahead of anything that my office building could consider. Mm -hmm. It was just, it was unbelievable. It was the most. <laughs> yeah. Were they able to like, did you get a sense at least of like stepping stones to those things? Um, in some senses. So like we already have the solar panels, mm -hmm. but it's, it's interesting to think that the next time we like get a facility or we put up new solar panels, that there's even a better way to do that, that That's there true. is a way to pick, to source the right, solar panels that can be used again and again endlessly recycled um even if they cost more um gray water has always been something that's been interesting to me mm -hmm. i'm actually not too sure what the law is on using gray water and rainwater but when you're at a big company it kind of makes sense to yeah. invest in a system that just even if you're not, if it's not 100% chemical free or may, you know, it's not a seven step process, it's a three step process with some chemicals involved. It kind of makes sense to me to use your own, like to collect water and reuse it. Right. And then your water bill will be lower. So it's like you, upfront yeah. cost, but yeah. Yeah. And it just seems like a very natural step to take, mm -hmm. but it would be maybe a huge investment. Um, but otherwise, I mean, these guys started from scratch in how they designed their building and they kept it to this living building code through and through, through every step. And I, it's intimidating, but like, well, and at one point they mentioned like nothing less than this is needed to prevent the next like climate crisis nothing less oh my gosh we all yeah. have to be doing the most yeah but you know what like it's kind of cool in a way because it's like we have an answer in a sense like this really is the answer yeah. like so i highly recommend anybody goes and checks it out i and that's a great way to put it that like when we're so worried about climate change this building is the answer it's what we all should be striving towards and it's proven it's a proven method so very cool check it out very Hitchcock cool. center amherst massachusetts all right so now it's time for my grab bag and this week i want to talk about e-waste and planned obsolescence oh gosh obsolescence yes which if we break that down i didn't look this up but i would assume obsolete is the root for that obsolescence if that helps at all but it might <laughs> we'll see where this goes <laughs> i guess so we'll start out though with e-waste so e-waste refers to electronic waste, which includes things like cell phones, laptops, that sort of stuff, technology we use in our homes, but it can also include appliances in some case. It's kind of a general term for anything electronic 
that could have some potentially hazardous materials in them or precious metals. So for example, some of those materials could be like mercury, lead, cadmium, beryllium, chromium, and chemical flame retardants. So we don't want that ending up in our soil and water, which is why e-waste is a concern because a lot of people don't know how to dispose of it properly. Um, it also is the fastest growing waste stream in the world. Okay, so for example, in 2016, there were 44.7 million tons of e-waste in the world. In 2018, there was 50 million tons. So it's just kind of increasing year to year. And there are ways to recycle e-waste, but the issue is that recycling is like electronic materials is time consuming and expensive um, because there's so many things intertwined. You really have to completely take everything apart in order to recycle the different components. And as a result, some companies and countries trade their e-waste and bring them to countries without regulations. So they're not necessarily being handled properly and they could hurt workers and also the environment as a result. So because the recycling is difficult to do and it isn't always done properly, it is better to refurbish your old technology before recycling. Because even things that are like water damaged can still have the potential to be refurbished. But if you try to sell it and it's not working out, um, then it's like recycling is the last resort. Um, and it's always best to repair things when you can or buy refurbished products rather than buying new. Now, I don't know about you, but I do have like every cell phone I've ever owned in a drawer. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, I put everything in a drawer because I didn't know how to get rid of it. And that's just like what we're like, what the articles I found about e-waste basically said that like people don't know what to do. So they either just throw it in regular trash or they just keep it forever. So when it comes to getting rid of your electronics, most likely your town or your town transfer station hosts a monthly e-waste recycling event where you can come mm -hmm. and bring any of these products. Most of the time it's free and you can just drop it off. And it's so it'll be something like Tetra Tech will handle it and they take your materials. You don't have to smash up your hard drive or anything. They dispose of it in a safe manner, all the memory portions of it. Mm -hmm. And then they use, basically it's like a chemical bath to put all of these materials in at once and be able to pull the different metals from it. Oh, cool. Yeah. So definitely check your town's website for your e-waste days. Um, and you don't have to feel insecure about sending things with memory on it to them because the right groups will take care of it. <laughs> the only thing is you have to remember that your town is going to do an e-waste recycling yes. day. And, you know, it's probably the third Saturday of every month and that Saturday is going to come and go. <laughs> and all three of your old phones are going to stay in your drawer until you die. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then your great nephew's going to toss them. So, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. No, that's so true. And yeah, so basically, like, that's why refurbishing is important. And that's what I wish I knew. Because what would have been better is if back when I stopped using my iPhone 4, I sold it or donated it to be refurbished when that was still something that people would want rather than now, no one's going to want an iPhone 4. iPhone 4s are obsolete, which brings me to my next topic. <laughs> Unless you have something to say on that. So when it comes to like refurbishing or recycling as kind of like end uses, there's a whole movement called the right to repair. I was going to talk about that. I'll let you talk about the right to repair then. Because okay, I cool. Think Look at that, it's though. It's so important. It's so important. So I just cool, don't know what abstinence means. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that word means. So this whole time I've been like, I don't know where she's going with this. I know. I but, wanted to keep you on the edge of your seat. Abstinence. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, so planned obsolescence. 
This yes. is a policy of planning or designing a product with an artificially limited useful life so that it becomes obsolete, i.e. unfashionable or no longer functional, either one, yep. after a certain period of time. The deliberate shortening of a lifespan of a product to force consumers to purchase replacements often includes making items difficult, expensive, or impossible to repair, but also make sure that they last long enough that consumers feel like they got their money's worth. So I had this experience with a vacuum. I will say the vacuum didn't last quite long enough for me to feel like I got my money's worth, <laughs> but I, I got a vacuum and I think it was on sale and it was like $90. And I was like, oh, this is so great. Like, I don't want to spend a lot on a vacuum, but I need one. So I'm using it. I'm using it. I use it for several months and it starts acting up. My um, mom, she had to go get a vacuum. So she brought it to a repair vacuum store, which they, those still seem pretty plentiful. So that's good. They fixed it, lasted like another two times. And I was like, well, I don't want to like keep paying to have this repaired. So it's been sitting in the corner. I didn't buy, I didn't get tricked though. I didn't buy a new vacuum. <laughs> I've been using my mom's old vacuum. So this vacuum that <laughs> she purchased in the 90s is still working. And this thing that I purchased in like 20, I don't know, like 17 or 18 stopped after a few months. So that's just kind of to show the trend of planned obsolescence and how it certainly has increased over time. Like you used to be able to buy a quality product and repair it and bring it to like a vacuum store and get it repaired. And now it's much, much more difficult because these companies see it as more financially beneficial for you to buy brand new products than to pay more upfront for a product. Like it's, more, it's better for them to pay more for like research and development because they're going to have more sales. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the obvious example that you're probably going to get to is the iPhone. Yes. After <laughs> two years, you feel like it's time for a new phone because the battery sucks. Yeah. After well, two years, pretty much on the dot. Oh yeah. Um, and I noticed this so with my iPhone four, which is my first smartphone that I ever got. It was time to update like the OS, the, the operating system. And all my friends were, and they were like, Oh, look at these cool new functions. And my friends had iPhone fives. Okay. So eventually the apps that I had weren't going to work on an iPhone four anymore. They're like, you need to update this in order to have this app or whatever, I get these messages. I'm like, okay, cool, I'll update it. As soon as I updated it, my phone like lost its ability to function easily. Like, like it was not working the way that it used to. It was very difficult. I didn't really have battery issues. I know lots of people who have, but like I couldn't use my phone anymore, essentially. And I had to go out and get an iPhone 6. And I got an iPhone 6 rather than an iPhone 5 because I was like, ha ha, I'm on to you guys. If I have an iPhone 6, it'll probably last me for four years rather than two versus an iPhone 5, which I suspected would last for two years when a new OS came out. And unfortunately, I did leave that in an Uber while I was drunk, um, but... Oh, you were with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. like, I lost that phone, not from planned obsolescence, but from drunken carelessness. And um, yeah. I was frustrated by that experience, though, so I, I switched to Android. And I know Android does it too, but I feel like just to a lesser degree, not as frequently, if that makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. The trade-off, though, is I have to text someone who has green text. Yeah, sorry. And I, I feel a little bit poorer um, <laughs> texting someone with green text. Well, that's so, the thing. Like, Apple relies on that brand loyalty. They're like, yes. even if we do this to people, they will still come back and buy another iPhone. Like, they'll do well, it. Well, and they were, like, the first successful company that really did this yearly launch. And they did a big event for every new phone every year. You get Steve Jobs, Black Turtleneck, alone on a stage with a spotlight and then the latest phone appears behind him mm -hmm. and we know that year to year the phone was not different mm -hmm. maybe it didn't have a button maybe the headphone jack was different maybe it was smaller or bigger or whatever but year to year the differences were not substantial but you had the apple fanboys 
yeah. who would line up and wait for days for the newest phone. And Apple was really like, I feel like the first company that created tech that you bought and replaced yearly if you wanted to fit in mm-hmm. with there out being any differences really between each of the models. Right. They're so subtle and like sometimes not even helpful. Like I paid an extra hundred dollars to get the Galaxy 7 Edge like instead of just the Galaxy 7. Not worth it. I don't know why I did that. I was like oh that sounds <laughs> cool and jazzy. Like <laughs> But they get you sometimes. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not a tech person. And I had the six for a long time and it was used before that. So I do feel like, or am I I just buying into it? I feel like I got my money's worth for it. Is Mm. that what we're freaking talking about? Yeah, I think that's what we're talking about. Am I? What is the value of money and time? Like, I don't know if I got my... (laughs) Now we're getting existential. (laughs) Yeah. Damn. It's like consumerism is not thinking about these things, you know? It's just like, oh, that seems like a cool product. I'll get that. And then, you know, if you dispose of it in two years, it's fine because that's what it's like to be in a capitalist system in America. So there's nothing to make us question it necessarily until you start, you know, digging deeper and looking into environmentalism because that's how this came across my radar. Also, it came across my radar because my cat chewed through my laptop charger and I do have a Apple laptop. So the chargers are very expensive and I had to buy a new one and then he chewed through the new one. But guess what, April? I repaired it. We wouldn't be able to record this podcast right now if I hadn't done that because I would not have been able to get a charger in that time period. Like this just happened. And then that brings up what you were just saying earlier about repairing and how because companies want us to buy things new outright and not repair them as we used to in our culture, they make it sometimes impossible to repair them. And um, why don't you talk about that a little bit? And then I have like a resource for listeners. Well, so the right to repair movement is all about how Right now, if you want to, if you crack the screen on your iPhone and you bring it to, you know, your neighborhood tech kid to replace it, if he does anything to that phone, it completely voids the warranty and Apple has no responsibility or obligation to you anymore. So people are very hesitant to do that. They think Mm. it seems sketchy because you're kind of like not going to an official Apple store to get it fixed. The Apple store, if you go to fix your cracked screen, it could be a hundred bucks. But this, you know, the kid who can buy the screen online and knows how to replace it might be able to do it for 20 and your phone's as good as new, but now your warranty is void. Um, So that's one part of it. Or there might be really simple fixes on a phone or on any electric equipment. It might be, it's just an easy thing. The battery's shortage. You just buy a new battery or this like little wire is tweaked. But if the repair guides aren't available, people have to take apart entire things to figure out the one thing they want to fix. Mm-hmm. Um, so then they could further damage it or whatever. But Yeah. And I, one of the things I was reading about planned obsolescence is purposely making it so that like if you need to repair like just replace a battery in a phone it'll crack through what makes it watertight and then you'll have water damage and down the line yeah so they just make it incredibly difficult to repair they make it illegal to post any guides about repairing it or replacing parts on it they sue people who make replacement parts for copyright um, or trademark or whatever. And so it's just like, like you said, back in the day when something broke, people fixed it. Mm -hmm. You went down to the junkyard and you got a new car door from an old car to put on your car. Or, you know, you 
you find parts, old parts, and you put them, and you, like, fix stuff, and it lasts forever. Mm-hmm. And people have been doing that forever with every innovation that's ever come along. And now we've got all this technology that could constantly be upgraded with better memory or fixed screens or, you know, whatever. And if people don't have the legal right to do that, it's just going to create more waste. It forces people to buy things, which can lead to inequality in tech as if the tech gap wasn't large enough. Mm -hmm. Um, um, And it would just be like, you could keep a phone for 10 years instead of two or four. Yeah. And just to clarify, we're not hating just on Apple. It's just, I think Apple's the most obvious of this sort of behavior, but yes, like any technology you can buy or even appliances like um, dryers, they now make it so you can't replace the inside of the dryer. It's like attached to everything else. So, like, there's all sorts of things that are working against us, so we're forced to buy things new. Um, When, like, dryer drum repairs used to be its own industry in itself. Right. And then it's, like, think about people who could have those jobs that are now obsolete as well. But then you have to buy a new dryer, which uses twice as much metal as just a new drum would. Right. And requires all this new stuff, and there's new plastic bits on it, and it's, like... If things were just fixable and yes. parts were accessible, that'd be great. We could reduce waste. So, if this is a topic that interests any of you, you can go to repair.org. Um, they do have a form where you can send a letter to your legislators and let them know that you support the right to repair. They have a map that shows you if your state has any legislation currently on the table. And you can like talk about that specifically, or it just says like, Hey, like, let them know what you think. Um, so our state, so you got, there's nothing on the table right now, but we can still reach out and be like, this is something we care about. So that maybe next session, they put something forward. All right, April, let me know because you came up with the challenge this week again. I'm loving this new vibe, you know? <laughs> I know. Like I said, I'm the ideal environmentalist. I'm <laughs> amazing at environmental stuff so you know just I'm just thinking of challenges left and right (laughs) um no but so this this week's challenge came from the fact that during the pandemic I am online shopping like never before I have online shopped during this podcast tonight (laughs) during the creation Looking for tank tops on Amazon. If you have any good ones, tweet us. Um, (laughs) Really looking for some good tank tops. But so I've been like buying a lot of stuff online. And when you think about the impact of buying stuff online that is likely not made in the United States, so it might not be made, you know, to high labor standards, environmental standards. anything like that. And then it's shipped to the United States or it's made in the United States to whatever standards, but then it's shipped to a warehouse and then shipped to you. There is nothing environmentally friendly about online shopping. I love what you said about Etsy. I was not aware that they had like a carbon neutral, carbon offsetting shipping policy. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I think that's great. And I think even Amazon might have something like that. But I got to say, I don't always trust carbon neutral shipping because right. you could necessarily the solution anyway. But, but yeah. they could just be planting fields of white spruce trees that grow super fast and use a lot of oxygen, but are like not good for biodiversity. And that's not the way to meet your carbon goals mm-hmm. by planting just a bunch of pine trees. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I, I don't trust Amazon too much, so I feel like that's what they're doing. So my first thought was like, okay, this week, no online shopping. And then my second thought was, ooh, Sam's already a better environmentalist than I am. So I thought you were the best. I mean, I am. <laughs> but you're probably pretty okay. And I bet 
you're not a big online shopper. Mm-hmm. Like, or I bet you're way more aware of like the packaging and the shipping and all that, that stuff. So then I was like, you know, it would be really friggin' hard. A no buy week in general. So this is like a culmination of a lot of our challenges. Yeah. No grocery store. I'm saying we're using our pantry staples. We're using the vegetables that we were just going to let go bad in our fridge. <laughs> Last week, we're using the frozen fish fillets in our freezer that we don't particularly like, but fish died for those fillets. So um, true. So true. So not only not online shopping, which, so I will save those tank tops you suggest to my cart for later, <laughs> um, but like no buying. Yeah. I'm excited. And I'll tell you why, because I feel like that might be the explanation. I think this is actually a really good example of reducing the R we all forget. Reduce, reuse, recycle. But what about reducing? And it's taking the time to evaluate the purchases we want to make and making sure that we really do need those items and that it's worth the waste that went into producing those items and getting them to us because it's so easy with online shopping especially to be like oh that'd be nice to have going on amazon typing it in putting in the cart one click buying if you have amazon prime so it's so so simple and i've definitely done that um from time to time but i do for the most part try to wait a month before making purchases Um, mostly for a budget reason, but it's great for the environment too, because there have been times where I've easily talked myself out of things that I wanted. I realized, oh, that's not worth the price, or I don't really need that. I don't think I'm going to use that as much as I think I will, or whatever. Because I take more time to consider it, I realize I don't need it. Because ultimately, what happens with those instant, like those (laughs) one-click purchases, is they end up cluttering our home, or going into a landfill, or being donated when they never needed to be in our hands at all. And those resources could have been used to go to someone who really did need that item. Um, You know, decreasing the demand for it overall is just like a good thing. That is such a great official way to tie it back to the podcast and what we're talking about. When I was just kind of like, this would be hard. (laughs) (laughs) Sam would have a hard time with this one but really like when you look at reduce reuse recycle reduce is the first R for a reason like none of those words were nothing was unintentional about that slogan Mm. reducing what we consume comes first and I, I love the way you put it like taking stock of what we have and what we need and the effort it takes to buy those things, uh, that makes a lot of sense. And you're right. Like so many times I've bought clothes from Amazon and I bought it because it was cheap. Mm-hmm. And that's my first mistake. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then I get it and I like low-key hate it, but <laughs> it was five bucks. Yeah. So I'm not going to send it back. <laughs> it's... It's just there in the void and shirt purgatory. Yeah. Jail for my clothes. You're <laughs> never going to get worn, but you're not going anywhere else. <laughs> so clothes is a big one. And then, like, no joke with the food. I have, like, I mean, it'll be like a hodgepodge, I'm sure. But I have, like, this frozen cherry berry kale mix oh yeah and I bought it and I just I didn't love it so it's just smoothies yes sounds good (laughs) well I I didn't think the flavor was like strong enough so it's just been in my freezer and I like I don't know what I think is gonna happen (laughs) to that because (laughs) it's just gonna be in my freezer until I use it or I waste it. 
Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, I'll keep it there until I can feel comfortable enough throwing it out. Mm-hmm. And that's like, like it's been a year. <laughs> yes, like it's been a year. Oh, is that a little frostbite? Ew. And then I like can justify throwing out probably this $13 bag of frozen fruit that I bought. Mm-hmm. And when you think about all the things that it took to make that bag of fruit and to get it to the store and then get it to my home, it, it's just, it's so wasteful. It's beyond like the environmental impacts of throwing that out. And then like the equity impacts of throwing any food out or like wasting any clothes it's just like yeah especially with like something that chief is not made ethically yes so it's like that just adds a whole other factor to it and yeah especially it's not made ethically and like it's not something that you would want someone who is poor to go and buy from a donation center you know, it's not like a nice quality find. It's like it was a $5 tank top when I bought it. And they're selling it to other people after it's been donated for $5. Right. Or more. And it's like, so it's not, there's just like nothing good about yeah. excess purchasing. And I feel like the pandemic has made a lot of people into like couch shoppers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is good because it'll make us kind of pause and think and reflect on our habits. Like one one thing, speaking of donation centers, I, in the past few years, I've almost exclusively turned to thrifting for clothes because I want because of the environment, and also because I can't I can't really afford to buy like fast fashion that's not going to last um, at the price that they sell it in retail. Um, doesn't make sense to me. But I have caught myself overbuying at thrift stores. And you think, oh, this is the end of the, like, the chain. Like, this isn't harmful. But it is harmful to people who really need clothes at those prices. And I, yeah, I probably could go buy something nicer from, like, firsthand that I would actually really like and wear. Because what happens is I've donated things that I purchased from the donation center. Like... Yeah, I, I'm just taking it out temporarily so someone else can't have it. And especially if it is something that is high quality, that should be there for people who really do need it as a resource. I, I'm like taking full advantage of it. And as thrifting's gotten more popular, like that's something to reflect on as well because it is more popular because of the environment. But also, it's like it's popular with like middle class people who don't right. need to go there. And maybe could invest in some sustainable clothing brands where, yeah, you're spending $90 for a t-shirt, but like it's going to last and you know, it was made ethically and environmentally consciously. So just putting that out there, I've definitely made that mistake. I'm trying to be more aware of it and just like take my time at the thrift store. And I often go in thinking how many actual items do I need? Like I needed some shorts and I'm like how many shorts I'm like just two just two (laughs) so I that helped I just got two pairs of shorts and in the past it's like well these are all such good quality and they fit me so like I gotta get them and then I don't end up wearing some things yeah so yeah or like you picture that one outfit that it's gonna look really great in and then like it doesn't look that good and you're just like oh well (laughs) back in the clothes purgatory Mm -hmm. Um, and I think this challenge also comes at a good time because so many people panic bought food during the beginning and like they stocked up on beans and tuna and canned goods that again, like, so then they were out of stock for people who maybe rely on 99 cent black beans for Mm -hmm. their protein and who like beans and rice are either you know, uh, socioeconomic staple or cultural staple, the stores were just cleared out of those. It's time for you to use that stuff you stocked. Yeah. Use that flour 
bake the stuff you said you were going to bake. Use your staples. Give it a week. Yep. That's my challenge. I love it. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Week nine or week back off break. Definitely reach out to us on Twitter, currentclimate underscore, or email currentclimatepodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Are you going to try this no buy week? Let us know how it goes and what you think of that. And also, please, please, please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That does so much to help us reach a larger audience. And, and we want to know what you think. We want to know what we're doing well, what we're not doing well. Um, as April said, I think last week, we will completely change our personalities for you. So please let us know what you think. Yes, we're very flexible. We're desperate to be liked. <laughs> <laughs> so send us your black bean recipes and tank top suggestions. Love it. Bye. Bye.